Thank you for tuning in to the Star Center podcast entitled Pediatric Care, Childhood, Adversity, and Resiliency Education. We bring together a community of pediatric providers working to address social determinants of health in their practices. We will share tested strategies, success stories, ideas on where to find community resources, and discuss clinical tools that are educational and practical to benefit your practice and families. Hello, I'm Dr. Nurse Bauer, and I'm a behavioral pediatrician based out of Indianapolis, Indiana. I'm also a blogger and founder of Let's Talk Kids Health. I'm really excited to speak to our guest today, Dr. Gretchen Pianca, who will be talking about Resilience University and her ongoing work to equip primary care pediatricians with this important skill set. Thank you. So I'm a pediatrician in Maine, and I'm the mother of three uh, teenagers, so I've had a lot of experience working with kids, both as a mom and in my practice. I've been doing this for a couple decades, and honestly, when I've started this work, it's been one of the most meaningful parts of my career, so I'm looking forward to sharing it with other pediatricians. Well, let's get started. I'm really excited. When I heard that you were going to be on the show, I was so excited to hear more about what you're doing with Resilience University. Can you just start off by telling us a little bit about how that came to be? Sure. So it's the original idea came um, out of the pressure that I think a lot of us are feeling with practices that we were supposed to start screening for ACEs. And I sort of had this sinking feeling like, well, I don't want to do that unless I have something that I can do. So not just a referral I can make, but something I can do while I'm looking at that form with the families. And so I was thinking, well, let's try to figure out how we can respond when we start listing all the, the horrible, stressful, scary things that have happened in your family's life. So I was like, what would be useful? And then I used the kind of idea of the university because we used to have something um, in Portland, Maine that we, we called Potty University, which was where you sent kids for a series of sessions. They were having trouble potty training and it was the developmental pediatricians and they worked with them until they were good to go. And then they graduated and they were always so proud of themselves and I thought, now that that would be a good approach. So kind of a set series of sessions working on a focused issue to try to kind of offset that feeling of adversity that you get when you look at a list of um, adverse childhood experiences that a family has been through. Wow. I mean, not only are you cognizant of the fact that it's important to screen for ACEs, but you are thinking ahead and, and thinking what could I do then in response to if there is a positive screen? So tell us a little bit more about how this has worked in your practice. Well, so originally we were going to start universal ACEs screening in the practice, but that was right before COVID started. And so when COVID hit, we suddenly weren't seeing as many people in the office, but I thought, wow, we probably still need to do this work. And so I started kind of offering it in a slightly different way. So when people were coming in, we started seeing more mood issues, behavior problems, sleep problems, um, teens using substances, you know, all kinds of maladaptive coping skills are happening right now, as everybody probably knows. Um, so probably seeing this in their practices too. But I thought, you know, this is a perfect opportunity. So in July of 2020, I was like, I'm just going to start this on a one-on-one -on -one basis and do four sessions with individual families who present with concerns that are mental health related. And so 
some of them end up having an ACEs score of zero or one, and then some have eights or nine. So I do ACEs screening as part of the intake for the program. And I also start with doing a pediatric symptom checklist. Um, so we get the that score and then the ACEs score, and then we start doing the four sessions. And then at the end of the four sessions, which are separated over, you know, one to two weeks, some families the family's gotten COVID and it's been two months between sessions or something like that. Um, and then at the end, I do the pediatric symptom checklist score again. Ah, so thank you for sharing kind of the workflow and the process. How do you actually introduce families to this concept that you're going to be meeting with them to teach them these skills, right? And how do they, how receptive are they? So, you know, as, as we all know, a lot of times when you, you know, parents come in, they're like, you need to fix him. He's hitting his sister. Like this has to stop. And a lot of times they want medication or they want a referral. So I don't do this instead of any of those other things. So if I was going to do a neuropsych referral or, you know, counseling referral, we'll still do those. But I say, you know, there's this other thing that we can do. I started this little program that I call Resilience University, where I would meet with you guys for 30 minutes, four different times, and we'd work on self-care skills. So different things that you can do to take care of yourself when you feel yucky. And the way I introduce it to parents is I say, you know, we know, we know how to take care of ourselves when we feel hungry, right? And if the kids, you know, three or older, I'll ask the kid, what do you do when you're hungry? They go eat. What do you do when you're tired? Sleep. What do you do when you're cold? Get a blanket. What do you do when you're sad? <laughs> I don't know. Wipe my tears away? Or one, one little three-year-old said, eat. <laughs> well, that's true. We do that a lot. <laughs> but so I tell the parents that this idea is to just help kids learn how to take care of themselves when they're having all those other feelings. There's some that we kind of fluidly teach as parents and then some that we don't and ones that we as adults were never taught when we were little. So I say we're going to kind of focus less on why your kid is acting that way and more on how can you take care of the feeling that's leading to the behavior that you don't like. So um, and the parents absolutely love it like across the board. I think they love the idea that they don't have to go somewhere else and make a new relationship with a new person. My counselors in our office, we have two embedded counselors here, and they love that I'm doing this because they're like, when they get the kids, they already have all these self-care skills and they have this awareness of emotions and um, kind of what the point is of doing this work. Um, so it's been very well received by parents. The kids absolutely love it. My front desk people say that they come out beaming all the time. They, we do crafts, like we make glitter jars and we do little um, sticker charts for emotional awareness and self-care strategies. And um, so they like it a lot. <laughs> oh, so that this is lovely. I am so excited to hear this. I mean, what imagination, creativity, and an, an awareness that you have this family in your medical home and I love the convenience of it for them. Um, and it doesn't sound like it's uh, separate from the work that you would do to refer to your co-located uh, partners, but it's a bridge and it's it sort of starts that conversation. Now, are parents and the child together for this? So, yes, the younger, the, so I'm seeing mostly, most of the kids I've worked with are that kind of three to 13 age range. The teenagers I've worked with, I sometimes see them alone. They're usually coming in because they're suicidal or having issues with substance use or something, some crisis is going on in their life. So that that's a little bit different the way they come to me. But the three to 13 year olds, it's usually, it's both together. The younger they are, I feel like the more crucial it is that the parent is really engaged and listening. Um, 
and then you know the some of my you know kind of the middle the seven eight nine year olds they absolutely love this and i've had a few where the parents are not really that engaged like they have their own mental health stuff going on um lots of social determinants of health stuff you know they're distracted and um the kids actually are the ones who take the self-care skills home with them when i see them the next time they're like yeah i stopped hitting my friend i do my breathing instead and it's all just this inner locus of control they figured it out that works i don't get in trouble as much. I'm going to keep doing it. So that's beautiful. I mean, and that's great. And you're hoping that as parents are watching you model this, that they can then, you know, run with that too themselves. But as you mentioned, there are barriers sometimes, but not letting that be a barrier to you providing this crucial service. So wonderful. So actually, now that you're saying this, I can imagine that our listeners are going to be like, hey, I want to do that too. So can you talk about that? Because I looked at your website and it looks like you're planning maybe to offer training to providers who are listening and getting super excited about this. So definitely. Right now, um, what I'm doing is I'm working with the main um, AAP chapter, and we are going to have two learning videos, each probably really short, 30 minutes. It doesn't take a long time for me to explain all this, and I talk really fast too, but two short videos, um, and then an article or two to go with it, um, and then that will live on the main AAP website, and it'll be completely like on demand. There'll be credit, CME credits. It'll be really easy to do, so my hope is to make it super available. Um, I will probably be doing some in-person training sessions, um, including the main AAP spring conference um, and perhaps a workshop later in the year. So for those of our listeners who are in practice um, and they're wondering, I want to do this, but how is this financially viable? Mm-hmm. Like. Are you able to, is this covered under a grant? Are you able to bill for this? So right now what I've been doing is essentially all of these kids have some sort of diagnosis that I've been seeing. So whether it's something like family separation due to divorce or behavior problems, sleep disorder, you know, whatever it is, I just bill based on time. And so most of the sessions we end up spending at least a half an hour. So I just do a time-based counseling kind of billing session with them. So that seems to be working really well. Um, And, and. Um, I wonder, one of the things I've wondered is if some families might be able to do fewer sessions and other families might need more sessions. So kind of depending on where the family is when they're coming into this, you know, parents who already know about emotional intelligence and emotional agility, and they've already meditating or something, you know, they may need only two sessions, whereas some other families might need more. So right now, that idea that it's sort of four sessions is kind of just what I came up with at the beginning. It does seem to work really nicely. And so far, most of the parents report at least a 17 to 24% decrease in the pediatric symptom checklist scores just after doing those four sessions. So it does seem like it's having an impact. So yeah, I love that. And I love that you have been sort of starting with that pediatric symptom checklist and getting it at the end so you can really monitor that as well as their ACE score, right? So have you gotten into the, you know, looking at your data as far as like if they have X number of ACEs versus this and stratifying that out yet or not yet there? So I'm not quite there. I was talking with the Hope the Hope Innovation Network. People are, were talking with me the other day and I was talking mm-hmm. about how it would be really interesting and also to look at whether kids with different ACEs scores have uh, different a different pattern in which 
pediatric symptom checklist scores improve with this? Like, what does this help with? Um, the other thing I thought about that if, you know, if other practices start doing this too, it might be really interesting to measure uh, parent stress indices. So looking not just at kid behavior, but how much stress the parents will be. They're like, they love this. They're like, this makes it so much easier. You mean I, I'm not going to ruin him for life if I don't correctly discipline him within two seconds of every bad behavior. And so it's sort of giving if the doctor says it's okay, it sort of gives them permission to just be human. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. And, you know, um, as we're sort of talking, my wheels are spinning here because you're doing something really innovative. And I, again, very practical meeting the needs of your families in the practice that you serve and I'm happy to hear that you're partnering with your local AAP chapter to sort of get it out even on a bigger scale so good for you but I also saw you also write a blog about applying emotional intelligence and agility to parenting like when do you find the time and how do you decide what you're going to write a blog post about so I um, haven't been doing that as much as I would like. I think now that I'm doing this in my practice, I was doing that kind of leading up to starting Resilience University. I would love to start getting back to that. I am working now on taking all of that and putting it into a parenting book. So I'm working on writing a parenting book, which I think for some people may be more accessible. For some people, you know, the reason I started that was because everybody just goes to Google and Googles what to do. So I was like, we need a really good resource for what to do when timeouts aren't working that involves introducing emotional agility and trying to help the families learn to go from one emotion to the next, just like their kids go from one monkey bar to the next mm -hmm. and kind of demystifying the idea that, you know, we're not trying to make our kids, um, feel happy all the time, every single day. It's okay that things are hard. Parenting is hard. Um, so it seemed as though with my work with families that a lot of times we got so stuck on the behaviors and we'd spend an entire half hour just talking about how the kid is behaving. And then we'd try something and nothing would work. And then I kind of started with this, well, let's look at the emotions behind the behavior approach. And all of a sudden, like parents are coming back the next visit and they're like, oh yeah, his fits are gone, his meltdowns are gone. And so I was like, I need to put this in some sort of form that I can share. So I started with the blog um, and haven't done as much with that lately, but I do think it's nice, you know, like you're a blogger too. I mean, I think it's nice families do that. That's where they go. You know, they're so much more likely to Google, you know, what do I do when Yeah. <laughs> these days than ask, you know, grandma or somebody else for advice. Right. right. Well, you know, I mean, I think that's, that's awesome. Awesome. And, you know, uh, parents do seek out this type of information. They're craving it. And you mentioned the importance of a blog, a book, going to the pediatrician. I mean, there are lots of different ways to get it. And here you are doing all of those things. So amazing work. Um, and I, and I want to go back to something that you said, emotional agility. And then you brought in the uh, metaphor of the monkey bars. So can you share, like, or do you have recommendations on how pediatricians can actually just open the door to these conversations, you know, without feeling like they're overstepping or just make it feel more natural? I, I feel like you've got a lot of really great tips on this. <laughs> I have had so much fun having these conversations with families. And I, I realized the first, when I started, I had this little worry that, oh my gosh, if I start talking about this, it is going to slow me down. I'm going to get stuck in rooms and this is not going to be good for my day. And I'm like, that's okay. I want to try it. So I did it anyway. 
And I actually have noticed that it's much more efficient. Like this is what families want to talk about. They're telling us that their kids are misbehaving, but on some level, they know that it's not just a behavior thing, that there's something more going on. So, you know, when we just respond with the, well, send him to his timeout and then tell him later that that was bad. It's like you talk to them later and that was kind of how it started. I'm like, well, are these timeouts even working? And they're like, no, he just goes to the goes to his room and screams and hits his head on the floor and then comes out and misbehaves again. I'm like, hmm. So I started trying to coach parents with this idea that, well, let's look at the emotion behind the behavior and then focus more on how we are going to get from this emotion to the next emotion. And I use when I'm talking to families, I usually say, I start with, if they're not bringing it up, like sometimes they're bringing it up. They're saying he's hitting his sister, biting it, you know, me or something horrible is happening. But if they're not, and I feel like there's something that they might want to talk about, I say, so what's hard for you guys these days? What are some of the times that are predictably really difficult? So it'll be bedtime or transitions or Walmart checkout aisle or, you know, whatever. <laughs> The traditional things that are hard for that specific family. And then I have them talk a little bit about what that looks like. So what does that look like? You know, um, when, you know, when Johnny starts hitting his sister and they'll be like, well, it's when his sister wants to play with him, but he's not responding. And so then we talk a little bit about, well, how is everybody feeling? And so then we try to focus on the feelings, not the behaviors. And I say, each feeling is going to come and go with its own rhythm, kind of like an ocean wave. And your job is to take care of yourself while that feeling is there. Don't worry so much about what everybody else is doing. Your job is to take care of you. So kind of redirecting parents, you take care of yourself, <laughs> you know, Johnny, you take care of yourself. And then the parents are modeling self-care for the little ones, the toddlers and the kind of pre-verbal kids they're watching. So, you know, they're going to learn that you do five big deep breaths when you don't feel good instead of hitting your brother when you don't feel good. So okay. there's a modeling part of it for the parents. And then that kind of, um, you know, just just teaching the kids, I know your sister's over there driving you nuts, but your sister only drives you nuts when you don't feel good. There are times where she's just over there being your sister and she's not driving you nuts. Those are the days where you feel good. <laughs> when she drives you nuts, you need to take care of yourself. It's like a little light bulb goes off. They're like, oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how rewarding is that? I mean, I love hearing the story about how you just sort of rose to the challenge, saw a need in your practice and just went with it, even though you're like, I'm not sure, but I'm going to do it. I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's amazing and awesome and awe-inspiring. So I hope that the listeners to this episode are really jazzed, really excited, and that they'll check out all your work and look forward to hearing how this evolves. Um, and so um, I just wanted to wrap up because the last question is, um, you know, sometimes you may encounter families who are a little bit more resistant to this idea of feelings and feeling like, you know, I, I feel like I need to discipline him, you know, and I, I know that you just talked beautifully about how you try to shift their, you know, the discussion from just the behavior and really understanding what's driving it underneath. How, you know, can you share with us maybe some of your talking points or tips when you do encounter that resistance? or you know any other challenges when you're trying to kind of you know talk to families and introduce these concepts to them that it could be totally different from what they are used to or what they were um, had when they grew up 
Right. So many parents are so worried about this. Like if I don't discipline them, I'm going to ruin them for life. Like I have to show them that's not okay. And I have to come down with the shock and awe campaign right away. And they're very, that's how they've always parented. But there's often when I talk more with them, they're sort of like, yeah, but it's not really working and I don't feel very good about it later. So they'll yell. Um, that's one of the ways I kind of like, well, what does that actually look like when you're kind of disciplining? What does discipline look like in your house? And they'll say, well, don't go to his room. He doesn't. So I go up and I yell at him and then, you know, and then I take everything away and then I make him throw his toys away with me. And I'm like, does that work? And it's like, no, he's still misbehaving. I'm like, so <laughs> let's just imagine for a moment that the behaviors might get a lot better if he's well cared for so and I go back to the simple basic like hungry tired cold like you know it you're not confused when you're hungry you know what you need you need food right so if we can start teaching kids that when you're bored or frustrated or irritated or annoyed or afraid or sad you know what to do to take care of yourself you won't ever go up there to screech where you're losing it and having a fit or a meltdown so a lot of parents absolutely love that even the ones who've never talked about feelings before and I had one one family that came to me around the families going through a divorce and um and the dad just like was not talking and the the kid was really engaged loved it wanted to do everything and but the dad was kind of like so I checked in, in with him at the second one at the end of the second session and I'm like do you want to keep doing these you know how are you feeling about this and he's like yep this is really important we got to start talking about feelings. And so then I use that to kind of talk about, he's like, yeah, we never talk about feelings in my house. And I, I was not trying. So, you know, a lot of times they know they're like, wow, I don't know how to talk about feelings. They know that their child needs that, but they just don't know how to do it. So a lot of times once you, you know, once you introduce that idea, they are very open to it. And most of the time, my experience with the, oh, but I have to discipline them, that gets better too, because they realize once the behavior's gone, then there's no need for that strict shock and awe campaign of discipline. That was only when you allowed that uncared for emotional need to just fester and then it explodes. And well, then you've got to do something, but you kind of missed the point. So mm -hmm. um, that, that usually goes pretty well. Uh, well, you are doing such wonderful work pioneering this. And again, I think this episode will be one that will be downloaded and re-listened <laughs> to and shared uh, very much uh, among our listeners. And so thank you for sharing uh, all the work that you're doing in your practice and, do, and what you do for families. Um, I always like to ask, is there one take-home message that you really want our listeners to sort of just kind of think about after they finish listening to this episode? So I think my, um, one of the recurring things that I just keep seeing and hearing from families, um, and that I think as doctors, we weren't really, so as physicians, we're trained to look for what's wrong um, and to identify it, to label it, and then try to make it go away. And that just kind of that idea that emotions are a little bit different. And we use our, you know, our thinking minds for so many good things, but they're not really good at, at 
doing what we want them to do with emotion. So we want to be able to think our way out of that emotion or stop feeling like that because, well, I shouldn't feel like that. So telling ourselves that there's no reason to feel sad or no reason to be angry or there's something wrong with me because I'm feeling worried all the time. Just let go of that and practice this. The, the thing that I love about this is it's sort of that same doctor training, like the see one, do one, teach one. So you kind of see it by listening to this podcast and then try it, try it in your own world. So so try it with your, um, you know, if you're a resident, try it with your attending when you start feeling annoyed, try it with your husband when you start feeling frustrated, try it with your kids when you start feeling angry. Notice that you're having a feeling. Don't focus so much on their behavior, but take care of yourself. And my favorite thing is just five big deep breaths in through your nose and out through your mouth. When we're wearing masks, I say in through your nose, like your mask smells amazing and out through your mouth, like you're trying to blow it off. <laughs> the kids love that. So five big deep breaths before you respond. So taking that space from when you notice you have a yucky feeling and doing something to take care of yourself before you respond to whoever you're with. So whether it's your patients, your family, um, you know, whoever. And then once you start doing that for yourself, then you can start teaching your loved ones and your children how to do that too. You can say, wow, I can see you're getting frustrated. Let's do five big deep breaths, you know, and just take a break. So if you just do a quick little pause, it can be very healing. Thank you for all those pearls of wisdom. And I really do hope that you were feeling inspired after listening to this episode. Uh, thanks again for coming on the show, Dr. Pianca, and sharing your story. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs> thank you for tuning in to Pediatric Care, Childhood, Adversity, and Resiliency Education Podcast. For more information or to learn more about the resources referenced during this episode, please visit our Screening Technical Assistance and Resource Center website found on aap.org screening.